Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Humble this church for the mighty hand of God and that you promised you will exalt us in due time as we do that. So, God, we bless you and we thank you this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Give a hand for our worship team. They are learning that song uh, at a request for us. We're going to be walking through the Lord's Prayer um, for the, this week and for next week. And so that song is helping us put us in, remi- in remembrance of what the Lord or how the Lord has has led us and taught us a model of prayer, not the only way to pray, but a model of prayer. So we thank God for that. How many excited about the fast that's going on? That was sketchy. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful for it. Um, I think one of the things that I'm gaining is just an extreme amount of clarity. Uh, every time I fast, it's like a cloud is lifted um, off of my mind, and I'm able to see further with greater precision, uh, precision um, just what the Lord is saying and what he's, what, how he's leading us. Amen? Um, so I'm thankful for that. Um, pray that the fast is beneficial to you, and pray that you're growing. Pray that you're sharing. Even if you're not sharing testimonies here, that you're sharing it with each other, that you're calling people and letting them know how the fast is impacting you. So we thank God for that. Um, we have something called financial planning cards. I want to take a moment and talk about that. Um, Sam and Audrey are going to be coming around, and they're going to be handing out some cards to you. As they're handing out these cards, I want to tell you what these cards are about. Uh, as we go there, let's root it in the Word of God, and let's look quickly at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through verse 17. And it says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned... In whatever situation I'm in, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and in every situation or circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. If I can pause there, uh, don't just get that verse. Don't just get that tattoo. Don't just get that bumper sticker and not know the context. Amen. So when you say I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, I want to just just want to draw a little bit of attention to the context. Paul is talking about his need in ministry and how he's learned in ministry to curtail ministry to fit whatever situations he's in. It's not that ministry is going to stop if he doesn't get the support. The ministry is going to keep going. But Paul has learned how to abound and how to abase. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you talking about the Philippian church. To share my troubles, he's talking about to give to him financially. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left you in Macedonia, no church entered partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. In other words, Paul, as a full-time missionary, the church in Philippians at certain points was his only funding church. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now that I seek the gift... Not that I seek the gift, but I seek, watch this, the fruit that increased to your credit. In other words, Paul's primary concern in receiving a gift from the Philippian church as an apostle is not so that he can be taken care of, but that they would receive something to their account as they give. One of the things that's, that's unique is as people are generous, and this is just true throughout all of Scripture, as people are generous to God in the work of this ministry, God is generous to to the people as well. Um, I could, if I want to, just call names right now, and folks would come up and they would tell you their testimony. They would tell you what God has done, not because of their generosity necessarily, because God is gracious, But it's just a principle that God has that as you are generous to God at his work, that God in return is generous to you. Um, And so one of the ways we want to do that here at Gospel Fellowship is we want you to help us and we want to help you. Here's what that looks like. Number one, I want you guys to help us 
be a better steward of what God has entrusted to us by giving us a forecast of what you plan on giving in the year of 2018. This is going to do a couple of things for us. Number one, it's going to help us fortify and, and, and set with some degree of accuracy our 2018 church budget. Uh, some of you all may be planning, you know what, uh, I'm going back to school, and so as I go back to school, I'm not going to be working, so I'm normally a giver, but when I go back to school, I'm not going to be working, so I want to plan that out for 2018, and I want to send that to our church so we can be better prepared for what to expect when that happens. Or some of you all are, are graduating in May, and after you graduate in May, then you're going to get a job, and you're going to start working, and, and as your custom is, you're going to start giving to the church. Help us by letting us know that so we can plan accordingly. We're not asking for you to make a perfect estimation, um, but we are asking for you to, to, to prayerfully consider what you're giving to Gospel Fellowship. Uh, you prayerfully consider everything else you do. All of you all, some of you all, have New Year's resolutions that you are trying to keep this year. and You've built in all the kinds of accountability systems on how you're going to keep that New Year's resolution. We're asking that you would, in part, plan uh, on what it is that you're going to give to Gospel Fellowship. Jot that down on a card, if that's the best way for you to do that. Or you can go online. Uh, if you go to our website, gospelfellowship.net, under the Giving tab, there is a section um, that is entitled Financial Planning Card, and you can fill that out online. It gets sent to two individuals of our church that's over our finance. I don't see it. It gets sent directly to them, um, and then they use it to help plan and gear out the rest of the year's budget. Okay? So we're asking, particularly to our membership, that you would help us in that way. Please. Thank you. Uh, so that helps us get a better picture of what the year is looking like. Now, how does that help you? Oftentimes, um, some of us, we're not planning our giving. And so we give based on the condition of what the week looks like. Not only is that a poor way to give, that's a poor way to live. Right? Um, I'm, I'm sorry if I stepped on toes so early in, in the sermon. But it's true, is it not? That we should have a budget, that we should have a plan. Our budget class will eventually come up in the first part of this year at some point. If, if you need help there, we'll be happy to help you with that. But you should have a budget on what you're planning and giving. And so the planning card helps you think through, man, how am I going to be generous this year? Maybe you look at your end-of-the-year statement from last year, you're like, man, I just need to do better. God, this is the area that I need to grow up in. The same way you would grow up and say, man, I need to pray more. Anybody said that this year? I need to get in my word more. I need to, I need to share the gospel more. I want to serve more. We should also say, I want to be more generous. I want to give more. Amen? So the card helps you to do that. This is not a gotcha. This is not a gimmick. I'm not trying to pull something on you late in the game. Um, all this is is something to help us plan more effectively. Again, you can fill that card out online uh, or in the card that you just received, and we would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Amen? Let's give God praise for that. Giving, yay! Amen. Amen. Secondly, uh, before I get into the text for the day, I want to take some time and pause to remember uh, an individual that we would celebrate uh, on this week, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I want to, again, root what I'm saying in scriptures. Romans chapter 13, verse 7 says, Pay to all what is owed to them. Pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Watch this. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is given. Dr. Martin Luther King, we can pause to give honor to him as a, as a huge impact on how our culture sees and views civil rights. At the tender age of 24, he became a pastor. I became a pastor at the tender age of 33. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded at how you pastor at 24. I don't even know how that works. But let alone, he, he finishes up his doctorate degree at some 26, and, and he becomes, he is elected um, the leader of the Montgomery Improvement Association at 26 years old. In other words, he is leading a major national movement 
fighting for civil rights and the leader of it, if anybody knows anything about leadership, the weight that that entails, at 26 years of age, there is so much I, uh, w- I could preach a series, not a sermon, but a series on his life and what we can glean from what he has taught us throughout the, the, the decades. There's so much that we can say about him, how he, his, 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 his ability to hone in uh, great character and strength in the time of controversy and difficulty. Or we could talk about his fight for equality without attacking the individual. He attacked the problem. His approach to gaining civil rights or uh, his movement that comes right out of the text that we would look at today, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Not only this, but his oration skills. He was a craftsman with words. And you can study his sermons like you would study a historical document. At the end of the day, he was a beastly of a man that was gunned down too far and too early in his life. I want to uh, read to you just a few quotes from the I Have a Dream speech because I think they're relevant for today, believe it or not. Here it is. And that is something I must say to my people who stand on the worn threshold which leads to the place of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy the thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia's son, a former slave and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. That one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day, in the nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day in Alabama with this vicious racist, with the governor having his lips dipped with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right here in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will hear and join hands together with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream. I want to pause today to say there's much that can be learned from his oration skills that are able not to divide but to unite, especially on the heels of a week where, again, our leadership has said horrible and vicious things about groups of people, particularly Haitians and El Salvadorians and Africans. When my discipler, uh, one of the ways I was discipled was through travel, and we went to Haiti, I've been to Haiti, I want to say seven or eight times. I've been to Mozambique, Africa, and I just threw up just a couple of pictures that I can see from behind me. And one of the things I want to say publicly uh, in front of you, um, for every person in here from African descent, from Haitian descent, from Hispanic descent of any kind, from Mexican descent, um, you are not what's said of you. And I know I don't have to tell you that, right? But I'm not just saying that from what came from our leader's lips. I'm saying that for every time something was spoken against you based on the color of your skin or the nation you derive from, you are not what they said. And not that you have to take this huge leap uh, to stand on the shoulders of Dr. King and pronounce to the nations, this, this, this whole horrific act of injustice and racism and discrimination. Just keep on being who you are. Your life serves as a demonstration to nullify the horrific words that were said just this week. Some of you may say, well, Rodney, you're, you don't know for sure that he said that. Rodney, you're taking out of contents. Man, some things ought not to be mentioned from leaders. And so, keep being the amazing people that you are. 
Amen. I close this time with this prayer that Dr. King prayed as he was being honored with the Nobel Peace Prize. And here this is. Oh, God, we thank you for the lives of great saints and prophets in the past who have revealed to us that we can stand up amidst the problems and difficulties of trials of life and not give in. We thank you for our foreparents who have given us something in the midst of darkness, of exploitation and oppression to keep on going. Grant that we will on with the proper faith and proper determination of will so that we will be able to make, watch this, a creative contribution to this world. In the name and the spirit of Jesus, we pray. And so we honor the life of Dr. King and we stand on his shoulders to keep going and to keep fighting. Amen. Let's get into our text. The sermon today is on prayer in light of um, our fast. I pray that you are not just fasting. That's, that's not folly. That's, that's incredibly helpful. Uh, that's incredibly helpful to your body to fast. Uh, there's a whole movement of intermittent fasting that's coming out that helps with fitness and help with sleep and help with rest and all of that. So fasting naturally is helpful, but fasting without prayer is not what he's talking about in, in Matthew 6. This is the whole idea of fasting and prayer. So to be tethered to your fasting is to be tethered to prayer. Your, or your prayer should be tethered to your fasting. Amen? This is the famous Sermon on the Mount. It deserves 12 weeks. I'm giving it two because I'm only looking at five verses of Scripture, but they are powerful. Actually, eight verses of Scripture. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you pray, go into your private room and shut the door and pray to your father who sees or father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask. Therefore, you should pray like this, our father in heaven. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day or give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, this prayer, particularly from verses 9 through verses 13, is extremely familiar to us. But the more we gaze at it, the beautiful, the more beautiful it becomes. I have two points for you this morning. Uh, number one, a plea of prayer in how not to pray. A plea to prayer in how not to pray. Next week, we'll unpack the Lord's Prayer. But this week, a plea to prayer in how not to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are faithful. We pray, God, that this word will fall on good ground. Pray that we would see the necessity of prayer. Pray that you will equip us, Lord, in this fast, that you would give us praying spirits, that prayer would surface as primary and necessary in our lives. God, I pray against uh, bad ways we've been taught to pray. I pray against the competition of praying. I pray against the showmanship of praying. But I pray that, God, as we pray, we are clear on who we are praying to and the power of who we are praying to. Oh, God, would you be exalted and lifted in this place, and would your word be enough for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. A plea to pray. Jesus opens our text by saying this, when you pray, not if you pray. Jesus assumes Christians are praying. It's an assumption for him. 
But I don't know if we can make that assumption today. I think it is quite possible to be a Sunday morning church attender, to be a part of a life group or a discipleship group, to, to be serving in ministry and be prayerless. I believe it's possible to get up and go throughout your day and to come back home and fall asleep without uttering a word to Jesus. And so I don't want to make the assumption that Jesus makes when you pray. I want to make a plea that you pray. Some of us, the reason why we struggle with prayer is we have questions on prayer. Some of the questions are, is God listening? Like, who is it that I'm talking to anyway? Does he hear me? Is this a monologue or a dialogue? How does he speak back to me? If he knows everything, as our text says, why pray in the first place? What am I going to inform him of that he doesn't know? Or why does God seem close some days and so very far away other days? Finally, does prayer change God or does prayer change me? Others of us, we understand the need to pray. You would say, some would say, no, I, I get it. We need to pray. No, I know God hears me when I pray. I know uh, that he knows everything. But the reason he's asking me to pray, to pray is because he's inviting me into relationship. And when you love people, you talk to them. You can know how a story ends, but you still watch the movie because you're interested in how the plot comes about. It's, it's an investment in people we love. When we, when we love people, we talk to them. Well, you may say, no, I know that a part of the Christian life is that sometimes we're going to feel probably, especially times like this, when we're fasting, that God is walking with us step and step. And then there will be days where you can pray and pray and pray and don't sense him or don't feel him. And not that that is something wrong. That's just a part of the rhythms of life. And just because I don't feel him, I don't allow my feelings to trump the knowledge that I know that he's present even when I don't sense him. Or I may say, does prayer change God or change me? Well, I can know that the scripture says that God is immutable. He does not change. There is no changing in God. There is no shadow of turning in God. It doesn't change God, but he allows me to partner with him in prayer, and prayer is definitely changing me because when I understand his holiness, I'm clearly the one that needs to be changed. We can know these things theoretically, but still be very distracted when it comes to prayer. And some of us will say, I want to pray, but now, if you know me or listen to my preaching, you know whatever comes after but is not good enough, right? But school. And the school, this is a busy semester, a lot going on, tests, examinations, study, study groups. It's just a lot. And then I got to have a life, right? Got to have a life. So prayer is difficult to fit in to my schedule. You're trying to avoid preaching points. But you do understand the life of prayer should be foundational to all those things you're doing. Because when you set it apart, here's what you're saying to God. I got that. I got to squeeze you in. As if you could pass that class without him. So Pastor Rodney, you know what I'm saying? I'm really smart. Yeah, that's really his breath. So... You need them. A lack of prayer is a declarative statement that I got this, God. I can handle the relationship without you. That's why I'm not telling nobody about this relationship. That was like three people. You say, man, it's school or it's, it's my family. My kids have me so busy. My, my, my spouse, my significant other, they have me so busy, I cannot squeeze the time into praying. Or every time I kneel down to pray, I'm sleepy, I'm tired. Why, Lord, why do I get so tired when it's time to pray? Anybody had that? 
Anybody catch a sleeping anointing when it's time to pray? Or some of us would try to reason it out because we're logical and we're objective and we're problem solvers. And you'll say, you know what, I need to pray. So here's what I need to do. I need to go buy a new Bible so I can pray. I need, to, I need to go get a brand new journal, a nice leather journal so I can pray in a really nice pen. So as I'm praying, you, 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 you solve prayer with stuff. But that's really not the problem. Because when it's time to eat, you don't, you don't look for, to make sure everything is picture perfect when you eat. If you're hungry, the protocol of fine dining goes out the window if you're hungry. You'll question whether you wash your hands or not if you're hungry. So if you're hungry for God, the journal is not a necessity. The new ESV Bible is not mandatory if you're hungry for him. So, so the question, I'm just trying to get us to where we need to get to, and here's where we need to get to. The reason why our prayer lives or we struggle with prayer, the reason why, and this is what I need you to confess, is your heart does not want God. I have written in my notes, give them time to let that sit. (laughs) But, beloved, it's true. You don't want him. But I do want him. I, I love you, Jesus. I do want him. Look, look how good he's been. I desire the Lord. I've grown up in the church all my life. I know that I want him. Don't get me wrong. I love him. Oh. The truth is, if your heart wanted him the way it wants Netflix, the way it wants the conversation with friends, the way it wants all of your other pursuits, then you would chase it with abandonment. Then you must be honest and say, Lord, my heart doesn't long for you the way it should. Okay, so if I can say that, where do I go? You go to what the Christian life is. You go to repenting and believing. And then repenting and believing. And then repenting and believing. This is the Christian life. There is no magic portion potion for you to drink so that you can grow up as a Christian. This is the Christian life. You repent and you believe. So what do I need to repent of? I need to repent. And repent means to turn away. So what do you need to repent of? You need to turn and repent away from this idea, but I got really good intentions. I got a real pure heart. Oh, as the deer pants it for the water, so my soul longs for you. You need to repent and say, God, that's not me. You need to repent because you've you've made your distractions, your distractions, idols. You need to repent for the fact that at the core of who you are, why you struggle with prayer is because you rather run the show than to let God run it. You need to repent that you don't trust him like you say you do. You and I should repent that we question his goodness and his love and his mercy as if he has forgotten about us. We need to turn away from that. We need to repent to God about that. And then what do we do after we repent? We believe. What do we need to believe? We need to believe that our foolish idols, Isaiah 44, 6 through 20, our foolish idols will never fulfill us. We need to believe that, that this, that, that this thing that we run to, whatever it is, even on a fast, 
Even when we have read the fasting document and we know what the fasting document says, still our heart tries to contrive ways to, to legitimize how the document is wrong. And what I want is right. Why do we do that? Because we have particular cravings? No, we do that because our heart does not want to honor God in that particular area. So we need to believe that whatever it is we run to in times of stress, in times where we're overwhelmed, in times of anger, where we run to will not fulfill us. Even good things like friends and significant others and, and, and all of these good things or whatever it is that we run to, they won't fulfill We need to believe that what we need to run to in those times is God himself. We need to believe that God is good and he is about us flourishing. So we need to talk to him. We need to see him as a loving father that loves us and knows what's best for us. That his word is true and that he can be trusted. And one of the ways we can have fruit of repentance to know repentance is actually taking place is that we begin to pray more. Not to be justified, that's already been handled. This is gospel fellowship, prayerfully you know that. But as a fruit of repentance, one of the things we see is our hearts start turning to God more and more. Yancey Phillips, or Philip Yancey, who wrote a wonderful book on prayer says this, most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two things. Why doesn't God act the way we want God to act? And why, don't, and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. So, beloved, wherever you are, whoever you are, pray. As we get to pray, let's talk about how not to pray. I love this. Before Jesus teaches us how to do something, he teaches us how not to do something. So this whole point is just on how not to pray. And this is a theme through all of the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's constantly teaching us. He's saying things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He is righting wrongs. He is clarifying what truth is. And the first thing he says about prayer is not to be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites is this, is this idea of play acting. It is, it is to put on a mask in prayer. I mean, one of the things I want to get to the heart at, man, just, just on, on the jump, is when you pray, don't put on a show. Don't don't make prayer seem like that you have to perform for God in your prayer. That you have to make sure all of your points are, 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 are wonderful and, and everything aligns in your prayer and that you're saying it with just the right words and just the right way and just the right cadence or you are mimicking your prayer after people you've heard pray. Don't play act, he says. Don't be like the hypocrites because they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corner. Watch this. Here's the motive. To be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. His first part of this, of this particular portion of his sermon, he's saying there's a problem in prayer. And what he's going to teach us is the pattern of prayer. And the first thing he starts diving at is this whole idea of performance. We live in a performance-driven culture. So even when you are asked to pray, it is not a performance. If you get called at your Thanksgiving dinner to pray, it's not your time to show how theologically savvy you are, how many new words you've learned, at the expense of what you perceive other people don't understand. It's not a performance. 
and we are not to be entertained by it. So I'm a, I'm, I love theology. I love scripture. The story is told of Dallas Willard, who was a professor, recently passed away. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he would begin every class with, with prayer. And he would particularly model prayer for his class. And it is said of his class that former students would go to whatever class he was teaching and sit in class for the first couple of minutes to hear Dr. Willard pray. They said his prayers were so, were so honoring to God and so theologically aligned and so masterful in its presentation that they just wanted to sit under the prayers of their beloved professor. Jesus says, you have your reward. That we don't sit under prayer to be entertained by prayer. We, so it's not most important who prays for me. Some of us come from places where if the pastor don't pray, it almost don't count. Well, like the prayer was a warm-up, all right? It's cool because pastor come in, he's going to pray. So if I'm sick, it's not the question of who's praying. It's a question of is the person praying, praying to the God that has the power to heal. So we're not to perform or we're not to be entertained by prayer. John Owen says it this way, a minister may fill his pew, I love this, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. Ooh, that is cold-blooded. I spend hours on this, y'all. Asked my wife, I was telling her the other day, I can study without a problem all day. I'm not distracted by that. I love to study. I love it. When I hear this, I'm like, ooh, because did I spend the 13 hours of study and prayer? Because who I am before God, laying down all titles, all good works, everything that you may try to do, your degrees, your career, your family, your home, your possessions. If you lay all that stuff down, who you are in prayer, that's who you are. No matter what the crowds say. What's Jesus' remedy? Verse 6, but when you pray, go into a private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Oh, man. I, I just didn't see it until I just read it. God is in secret. We're here to worship him but he's not coming out from the backstage taking this pulpit. He's, he's in secret, and he has chosen to, to, to live there for eternity amongst us. He's known where he is. But so we should be gravitating to the secret place of God because even when people can't see, God dwells there. there there's a privacy that my, that my heart should long for to being alone with him without the distraction of the noise of this world or the cares of other people. I need to be alone with God in secret.
Because in secret is where he is. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now here's what we know. We know that Jesus is not teaching, don't stand up in church and pray. Because there are denominations that teach that. So every time you pray, you must get on your knees. So we know he's not teaching that. And how do we know that? Because Jesus prayed standing up. Jesus at the grace of Lazarus, he stands up and he's praying. Jesus prays in all kinds of different ways and his followers do the same. We know he's not talking about the posture of prayer. We also know he's not talking about the place of prayer. In other words, he is not saying it is wrong to stand on a street corner and pray. Or to stand in the middle of the church and pray. No, there's nothing wrong with doing that. The church should be a place of prayer. So if he's not talking about standing on a corner and standing in church, what is he talking about? He's talking about your audience. In other words, who is your audience when you're praying? And this is not just for the the posture or the place. Whenever we go to, whenever we go to prayer, there is this idea that I got to go into the closet and shut my door. And I'm not talking about a physical closet here. I'm talking about the closet of your own mind. To get into prayer is is to fight away all of the the, the highway of thoughts and distractions that are coming to my mind when I kneel down to pray. And there's this idea that even within the walls of my mind, I must find a segregated closet to go in and shut the door behind me. In other words, when I kneel before the audience of one, I have to find a way to nullify every other distraction that seeks to steal the attention from my single audience. I got to focus. A couple of years back, we did um, something called 21. Devo 21. Thank you, Jay. Uh, We did Devo 21. I was saying, man, seven minutes of silence and seven minutes of prayer and seven minutes in the word is this idea of seven minutes of silence, meaning it's going to take you some time just to steal yourself to get ready to pray. Some of us pray and we're not ready yet. I love what R.A. Torrey says. He says this, we should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or private, until we are definitely conscious that we have come into the presence of God and are actually praying to him. My former pastor taught me to pray. He taught me, he said, Rodney, when you start, don't just jump into the prayer. Come with, with worship and adoration. Come and steal your little busy mind and, and, and anxious heart to be in the presence of the one that you want to talk to. Don't just start praying. Don't, don't, uh, don't, just, don't just flab words to God. Steal your heart to know that you're before him. And you're a God who sees in private will reward you openly. Secondly, not like the Gentiles either. Don't pray like the Gentiles. And this word Gentiles in this text is used to mean non-Jews. He says, verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. This word babble is the idea of just running your gums, if I can say it that way, or just using vain repetition. I'm going to mess with some folk. I'm going to mess with some folk. Some of us in our prayers, we just use repetition. It could sound like this. I'm not picking on nobody, okay? I'm just, I'm just trying to make a point. It could sound like this. Father God, we just, 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 Father God, we just. Why are you saying that over and over and over again? Could it be that a part of the reason you're saying that is to give your mind space 
to think about what to say next? Could it be that you probably should slow your cadence down to not be in such of a hurry to talk slow before him? So there's nothing sinful about praying slowly? Uh, some of us, we've been taught to pray by listening how people pray, and people with fast cadences, we can pray in a way that tries to keep up with how they prayed. Just talk! Away with the religiosity of it, right? You don't do that to your, to, to your parents or to your kids. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Jordan, I just want to, hey, Jordan, I, you, I don't talk to my daughter like that. <laughs> Think about it. It's funny, but just the things we do in prayer. He's trying to get at this. Don't just say stuff to me. This ain't me talking. This is in, this is in the text. So I'm thinking if I'm praying and I normally just say stuff or maybe a scriptures and I just Nothing wrong with using scriptures in prayer. We should pray the scriptures. The Bible should deeply, uh, really ultimately influence our prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But if I'm just skewing off scriptures so I can make up my prayer time, uh, five more minutes, 10 more minutes. I got to do 30 minutes today. A good Christian prays at least 30 minutes a day. I got to get my 30 minutes in. We've extracted the relationship and we've made it dutiful. Jesus says, don't just babble and say stuff. Because when you do that, you're praying like the Gentiles. And they think, if my prayers are long, God hears. The longer I pray, the more likely it is that God would actually hear me. Now here's what we know. God is not anti-long prayers. Got to clarify that. Jesus prayed all night. When he's picking his disciples, he spends all night in prayer. Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. He is not anti-long prayers. That's a long prayer. But he's anti-vain words that have no, that doesn't communicate what you're trying to say to God. Amen? Because he doesn't want you to think, the more and more you pray, you have to convince me. Here's what the pagans believe. The more I pray, the more I can convince God to do what I want him to do. You don't have to convince your loving father. Amen? He knows what your desires are. He knows what your needs are. So don't pray like that. Instead, he says, verse 8, don't be like them because your father knows the thing that you need before you ask. Verse 1 Kings, I want to look at 1 first, first, uh, first Kings chapter 18. This is the story of, of, of Elijah, and he is standing on Mount Carmel, and it has not rained for three years, and he is standing there with all of the false prophets, and he is saying that he is a true prophet, and he's standing alone, and there's 450 false prophets there. And what, what Elijah says in this time is he goes to them and he says this. You make an altar and I'll make an altar. You call on your God to bring rain. And if your God brings rain, cool, we'll worship your God. I'm going to build my altar and I'm going to call on my God. And if my God brings rain, then that God is the true God. 1 Kings verse 18, verse 28 and 29 says this cry aloud and cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until blood gushes out upon them. And as midday passes, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. They are there from morning to noon, praying to God for four hours, praying to their God, hoping their God will answer. There is no answer. It gets so bad that they start cutting themselves, thinking they can get God's attention by hurting themselves and that their God will have mercy on them and answer them with rain, but there was no answer. But then Elijah gets his chance. And when he prays, this is what he says. 
And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people may know that you are Lord, that you, O Lord, are God and that you have not turned and that you have turned their hearts back. In other words, when Elijah gets ready to pray, he's getting to the point. He is purposeful in his words. Here's what I believe. Sometimes we run from praying thinking this prayer is going to take all day. What if we came at prayer like this and said, I got one minute to pray. For this one minute, let me make this as passionate and purposeful and intentional as possible. I got five minutes to pray over here. Let me make this five minutes direct to my God. Let me tell him everything that is on my heart. Let me spend a moment listening to what he may impress for me back. Let me take this time to be intentional about hearing what he has to say. What if we stopped thinking of prayer as this long thing and thought about it as this purposeful thing and we, when we get before God, we are, we are fervent and we are intentional about our prayers. Here's my thought. If we did that, we would pray more. What if instead of trying to get 30 minutes a day, you got five here and five here and five at lunch and five in this break and five on the way home what if you just were all day having a praying spirit that butted out of your heart and we were intentional about how we were coming before God? And here's why I'm making this plea. Am I making this plea to make life super, super easy for you? No. Here's the plea. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. So he's calling you to pray. He's calling you to pray. Everyone standing, come through. Next week we'll get to chapter, uh, verse 9, and we'll walk through the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to call up the prayer team this morning. I just want the church to pray. And even in, in essence of what I said, uh, even on my last point, that let's just take a few minutes because you're still, even now, even in church, it's like, okay, what's coming up next? Who's doing announcements? Do I have the offering? What time are we getting out? I got to make sure I catch this person. With the whole church, steal your hearts for a minute. Just focus on him. If, if you don't know him, if you, if you want to know him, steal your heart and tell him that. Quiet your heart. That's what I mean. Reign in your thoughts. Bring them under subjection. Let's put our focus on Christ this morning. And just in your own way, however you want to talk to him, do that. doesn't have to be loud. doesn't have to be verbal. He knows the hearts and the intents of men. But whatever you do, Let's pray for just a few moments. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that you would build our dependency. Build our dependency on you, Jesus. Help us to long for you as we long for our necessary food. Show us, God, in areas where we've built up confidence in our flesh, strength in our own might. Help us to see our need for you. Pray this morning that you will reorient our thinking about even marriages this morning, God. I just pause and pray for marriages. I pray for marriages that think they are sustaining their own relationship with their great communication skills or the fact that they do date nights or their compatibility levels. Help them to know you are sustaining it, not them, not how great they are. Help them to boast and boast alone in the cross of Jesus Christ. Pray, God, for parents, Lord, that are raising their kids and, and God, just quite frankly, tooting their own horn. Humble them to know that you're the Father. God, I pray just for for every area of our life, for work, Lord, as they gather and they go tomorrow to work, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would see work and see the necessity of praying over their jobs and praying over their assignments and praying over their coworkers and praying over projects, Lord, and asking for your guidance, Lord. Would they not seek to do this in their own? God, I pray for their commute. Would they ask you in every commute for safe travel, Lord, that you would give grace for them to get there safely, Jesus. I pray as they are shopping and, and just spending money, Lord, would they understand that that money is a gift and would they come to you out of gratitude and prayer. Thank you for the prayer of gratitude where we could just say thank you. We don't have to feel bad that you've given us good gifts because you're a good, good father and, and gift giving is what you do. So we don't have to feel bad about that, but we can have a prayer of gratitude that just says thank you, Lord. God, in all the ways that you are shaping and reshaping our life i pray for the calling on our life i pray for ministries that's within this church would we hold that before you with the open hand and would we not be just just looking at the latest fads and latest things that are going on in ministry or looking to market or to do different things or to have our ministry line up with some other ministry father would we just remember that you set the course for your church that you are the shepherd in every ministry in this church, that you are the shepherd. So I pray that we'll run to you for everything concerning life and godliness and that you would be with us and shepherd us as you always do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord.